What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. All right, here we are, guys. Uh, Go ahead and get started. I want to welcome everybody to the uh, conference, Middle Tennessee Golf Course. This is the Golf Course Superintendent Association. Now, I uh, appreciate everybody showing up. Uh, I know it's a crazy day uh, that we've got going on, so um, but we'll uh, have a good time and a good discussion. On behalf of Thurston, who is our president, I want to uh, say thanks for everybody for showing up, all the sponsors. I'm sure there's several guys in here that have contributed uh, along the way, so appreciate you doing that. Bluegrass for hosting. Uh, if Tyler's here, I haven't seen him, but uh, thanks for uh, all you do, and if you're playing golf, enjoy it out there. So. But uh, what I'd like to do, um, I, as I told you before, we're taping this as a podcast. My name is BJ Parker. I host a podcast called the Making the Turn podcast. Hopefully you guys have listened to it, enjoy it. Um, had a lot of good people that are in this room and some that are not in this room uh, on there. So had a lot of fun doing that. So I hope if you want to be on it, um, by all means, come holler at me. But um, we're going to have a panel discussion. We've got a few people here we've asked to uh, come on and talk about um, how 2020 has been, and is it the greatest year or the best year for golf that we've had in a while? So what I want to do is uh, I, I don't want to hijack this whole thing. So they've got several people up here, and this one I want this to be interactive. We we want this to be interactive. So if you've got questions, by all means, we've got mics, we've got things we can get you on here and talk. So um, please speak up if you uh, have anything, or and don't let us all just jibber jabber up here. So. Uh, Jim, why don't you start? We'll introduce everybody. We'll start from over here on my right, and uh, just kind of a, a, a brief introduction, and um, and then I'll, uh, I'll 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 chime in. I'm Jim Brazen, University of Tennessee, and we need to acknowledge that today's session came out of a fascinating question asked by Dan Johnson, and that doesn't really always happen, right? I mean, <laughs> Dan Johnson asking fascinating questions is a rare occurrence, but he. he He asked a question on an episode of BJ's podcast, is 2020 the best year for golf or the worst? And if you really think about that and try to unpack it, that's a pretty interesting question. I think that's what we want to talk about today from an array of perspectives. You know, I'm a university professor. I can offer some insight there, but I'm really curious to hear from you all, whether you work in private golf, public golf, whether you're a spray tech, whether you're head superintendent, director of agronomy, uh, we've got some industry folks here today that work with sales to golf courses. We just finished EOP. There's a lot of variables in what makes a healthy golf market, and they've all been kind of affected this year. And I think it, it'd be kind of fun to talk about those effects and what we think might happen in 21. So I look forward to a good discussion. Very good. I'm uh, Jeff Cooper, head superintendent at uh, Saddle Creek Golf Club in Lewisburg, Tennessee. Welcome, Jeff. 
I'm uh, Brandon Horvath. Uh, I'm also at the University of Tennessee. And uh, uh, to echo Jim's uh, comments, I'm, I'm truly surprised that Dan asked an interesting and deep question. And, uh, and uh, we put him out in the field so that he could be far enough away from us so he can't get to us. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to hear, and like Jim said, uh, hear from you guys. And I think the, the, the effectiveness of this kind of panel discussion is only as effective as the audience is engaged in the topic. So if you guys get engaged in this and, and offer some thoughts back to us, then we can, we can have a pretty robust discussion this morning and, and, uh, and really kind of dive into that kind of concept. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm Kevin Snell, and I am at Henry Horton Golf Course. I still have the old term greenskeeper by my title, and uh, appreciate you guys for having me. Thanks, Kevin. I'm Justin Browning. I'm at Clarksville Country Club. Um, been head superintendent since 2016. I'm Dan Johnson. Golf course superintendent at Old Hickory Country Club uh, here in Nashville. Appreciate you guys all coming out. This did kind of stem from a, uh, a very passionate, in-depth conversation between me and BJ on the last uh, last time I was on his podcast. It's been a crazy year. I mean, we we've all had you know struggles. Everybody's had a a wide range of emotions. You know, I don't care which side of you know, which side you were on, you know, all of us, I'm sure at some point had some sort of uncertainty or fear or anxiety. Um, a lot of us had fear and anxiety for, you know, our jobs and our industry. And thankfully, I do feel really blessed that our industry has ultimately thrived. I feel like rounds of golf at, at my facility alone have doubled. Uh, that's the trend at most people's facilities. Well, quite frankly, that's kept us employed. You know, whatever you believe about COVID-19, the coronavirus, it's, um, uh, we were able to stay employed in an industry that, that's thrived. And, um, you know, if the term staying safe in, a, in an environment that, quite frankly, you're not all up on people, you know, you, you can do that in a safe manner. And, you know, part of this whole thing, if we learn anything, I mean, we just, the humans need to be cleaner, you know, don't encroach on people as much, don't, don't be breathing on people, don't be licking doorknobs, don't, um, <laughs> you know, it, wash your hands. You, you hang around different people than I do. <laughs> How yeah. many times have I been to a nice steak dinner where the guy in the stall next to me doesn't wash his hands, and that's, you know, you're paying your money, you just, if that guy can wash his hands 50% more times, that, you know, that's, a, that's what this whole thing is all about. But, but no, the fear and anxiety of, for, for me, I'm sitting here the first week of the pandemic and I'm looking at my wife like, my boss owns bars downtown Nashville, Tuxies and Kid Rocks, and, and I'm sitting here and, and he, they shut him down. And then he laid off all the, the head managers. Well, I'm a head manager at Old Hickory Country Club and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to keep my guys employed. If I, if I start losing guys, they're going to go to another industry, some industry that does stay open. So I'm just like, I'm just sitting there praying, and I'm, I'm like, okay, well, the Kid Rock GM just called me, and he just got got laid off or, or furloughed or, or whatever, and I'm like, 
it's only a matter of time today until I get that phone call. So, you know, a couple weeks into it, we, we realized that golf was really going to thrive, and it it was it was great. We we did some weird stuff uh, from a work aspect. I mean, from you know the, the deep cleaning, to the the social distancing, to the, the splitting up lunches, you know, keeping the guys away from each other in the break room. Uh, I've really enjoyed a clean break room every day. It's nice to work in a cleaner environment. Um, but anyways, I'm going to stop rambling because <laughs> that's what I'm good at is just, just constant rambling. Um, I'm going to give it back to BJ. Part of this, I wanna, uh, do want to talk about the University of Tennessee, what they're doing. Uh, kind of wanted to do some short interviews with Jeff Cooper and Kevin Snell and Justin Browning and kind of get you know how they started their careers, how many years they've been doing it where they're at, what projects they're doing, and then how they've handled the year 2020. Um, because we've all had, you know, stuff to deal with. I know there's a lot of Metro guys here. How, you know, I want to talk to some of you guys about what you guys had to go through, you know, from a government aspect and how much, you know, our rules, you know, a lot more strict and, and, and what all you guys had to deal with. Because we've all had to deal with some, some crazy stuff this year. Go ahead. Sorry, Dan. Hey, make sure you hold that mic in closer to you. You're good, though. Uh, let's start. Kevin, um, give a little bit of background uh, about you and where you're at. Kind of, um, We've known each other quite a while, and uh, you're a heck of a golfer as well as a superintendent. So talk a little bit about that and then, and then um, kind of how this year with you guys has affected. I appreciate that. Um, my background is kind of all over the place to be honest with you. I, I grew up working at Henry Horton Golf Course throughout high school and college. Um, I was mainly more of a basketball player during that time. I went to middle on basketball scholarship and it was a pretty rough year and ended up going somewhere else and getting more into golf. Um, came back to middle and walked on the golf team, was in plant and soil science, and I always like both ends, both sides of, of golf course business, and uh, was kind of kind of struck between which end to go to, and ended up going to the assistant pro side for a couple of years, and got pretty decent, became a pretty decent player when I was at Riverbend Country Club. Tried to travel a couple of years, that didn't work out. <laughs> Uh, it, it's pretty tough out there, to be honest with you, in, in trying to play. Um, long story short, I, I came back to Henry Horton in, in 2006 after teaching high school for four years and been, been there ever since. Uh, and I just recently got my PGA membership in March. So I, I've been, been on both sides, been all around, taught high school, coached basketball, coached golf, and. Uh, I'm extremely happy to be where I'm at now in, in my life, to be honest with you. Uh, this year has been very interesting. Um, I am with the state of Tennessee in the park system, along with Jeff, and we have nine golf courses total. We closed for about a month. I was, I was asking Jeff, I had a hard time remembering when it was, but we closed from like mid-March to mid-May and uh, trying to figure out what we were going to do and got to open back up. And we have limited times starting out and, and trying, trying to do things like everybody else, the noodles and the holes, you know, trying to limit touch points and all that. 
Some of our state courses are a little more open than others. I think we still have some that haven't even opened, opened the pro shops yet. But my opinion is that this has been an unbelievable year for, for play. I mean, you'd have to go back, what, 20, 20 25 years to, to see this amount of play. Uh, and, and whether this is just kind of a, a quick shot in the arm for golf or, or is it going to level off or what, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see, see, when, see what happens in the next year or so. Did, did y'all have across the state the mandated regulations across each course or was that from course to course? Uh, it, it got, it, it was mandated through each, each course and, and some did a little more than others. Yeah. How how would you say your rounds are compared to prior years? Or oh, they're, they're they've got to be way up. And yeah. Jeff just told me I, I haven't seen our rounds, but Jeff just told me that they're they're breaking records every month. Yeah. Did, Metro. Metro. Yeah. yeah. I, is that so? You closed for how long? Oh, you said a, a, about closed, a month and a half. We closed for about a month. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, and I've played in our Tennessee section events, and I've talked to all the, the pros and, and superintendents and everywhere that I've talked to all over the state, everybody's been up. Yeah. Did all the – did Metro close for we two, two months? Metro's closed two months. Oh, that's about two months, too. Yeah. Mid-March to mid-May. Yeah. Yeah. Are you all single rider carts and things like that? We, we did single rider for a, for a while, and um, – just what in September, I think they started adding another ten dollar fee if, if you decided to be a single rider. Yeah. Is any is anybody in the room's rounds down or that are in the golf business? Anybody know of any rounds that are down or I know there's courses that are probably struggling, but no? I I, th I think the places that are down from what I've heard and and you know, and this is more national, is the places where it's primarily a travel destination because travel's down and so that's that's uh that's diminished some of that, but like the really high-end venues are doing fine. Bandon and Sand Valley and yeah. places like that that are destinations. I know Sand Valley, we have a, a former student that's a superintendent for Sand Valley, and uh, he told us that their rounds are, are up primarily because the business that they lost in travel has been made up for because uh, Illinois was a complete shutdown and golf was a non-essential business and uh, Wisconsin golf was an essential business, so they had a lot of golfers coming across the border from Illinois up into Wisconsin to play golf. Yep. Um, and that was one of the things that, that I know that, uh, and Jim can speak to this too, is fairly early on in that process, we saw around the country a couple of the, the proactive uh, golf groups uh, getting with their legislators and making sure that golf was considered an essential business. And so we kind of put a push into our organizations and saying, look, we need to get out ahead of this and get golf declared by the governor an essential business, which we were successful in doing yeah. in a kind of unified effort. And that was, a, I think, a huge piece for making sure that golf was, is going to do well in, in Tennessee. And I can just, I'm just pulling up my gin app right now, and I can tell you that golf is up for me. I mean, I played in 2019 37 rounds of golf which uh, at the time, uh, one of the last rounds that I played was with a group of guys that I grew up with, and they said, do you play a lot of golf? And I said, well, I'm posting my 36th round of the year. And they were like, oh, that's not that much. I was like, dude, there's only 52 weeks in a year. That's almost <laughs> once a week. And he went, oh, yeah. And then uh, if I scroll over to 2020 scores reported, right now I'm at 55. 
So that's almost double. Double. And at 52 weeks a year, that's better than a week a year if I don't play any more golf. Yeah. So, and I'm playing three times this week. So. Well, and, and the listeners out there, you know, may wonder, well, this has been a conversation about rounds up. Well, how, is, how could this be the worst year for golf then? And I think the, the forward-looking piece, and Kevin, this is a question for you, is have you gotten your 21 budget yet? No. <laughs> because I know I've had conversations with some clubs that have gotten their 21 budgets and they're significantly down and they're being charged with cutting large amounts of funding out of not only maintenance and operation, but also have open staff positions that now can't be filled, right? And this isn't a huge issue, I think, at the private golf level, but in public and state facilities, we're seeing record play, but we're not seeing resources to go in to support that record play. And the downstream effects of that get a little uncomfortable, right? Because there's more cart use and more cart traffic, more wear and tear in the golf course, less resources for maintenance, and where does that go from here? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's coming. I, I, we know that there's gonna be some cuts. We've, we've already had, uh, been, been in the state, we have our equipment that we lease through another state agency called VAM. And we've just had, uh, they're, they're trying to uh, reduce their budget by 12%. So we've already had to turn in a couple of pieces of equipment you know, to, to help with that 12% reduction. So it, you're right, play is up, uh, golf course revenue is up, but you know, when you're dealing with government and you know, you, and, and, if, and if tax revenue's down, then obviously there's gonna be some cuts. Um, I'm, we're just hoping it's not gonna be too much. Jeff, um, why don't you give a little bit of introduction to you and uh, kind of your background and um, how things are going down in Saddle Creek. All right. Um, my career started at uh, Wintry. Hold it up a little bit. Uh, started at Wintry Golf Club, which is now closed. Um, started there just as a crew member and uh, as a part-time, just something to do on the weekends uh, and worked my way up to the assistance job. Uh, when the superintendent left, uh, they gave me the keys. Uh, I'd never had that job before as a interim superintendent. Right. Um, I had some, uh, I think some of you guys no, Neil Carson. Uh, Neil came in and kind of tutored me for uh, part of one year and part of another year. So that's kind of where I got some of the knowledge. Uh, and then when Wintree shut down, I moved to uh, Pine Creek, uh, where I worked with Bill Riley for a year. Um, then after that, uh, I applied for the superintendent's job at Riverside Golf Club down here in Old Hickory. I was there for 18 months and uh, um, knew that the job was open at Saddle Creek. Applied there and uh, got the job. So that's where we're at. That's how I got there. Yeah. Um, our business has been uh, booming, uh, but we didn't really have a, uh, a good number to go from as far as where it was the year before because the course had been run down for so long. Um, but uh, from all indications, it's back on the track where it was when it was in good shape. Sure. Um, as far as budget, I uh, haven't got it yet, uh, but we're working on it. Uh, uh, our ownership has made a, a commitment uh, for the improvement of the golf course. 
uh, and they are standing by that, which, yep. is, which is a good thing. That's good, that's good. I first met Jeff um, when he was at Riverside. It's about two miles down the road from Old Hickory. And I've been driving by Riverside for eight and a half years. Uh, I've known some of the previous guys. Uh, Steve Brown was a long-term employee of mine who worked at Riverside. Uh, rest his soul, he passed away about two years ago. But you know, it, it, it was a little run down and I, man, those greens look good. All of a sudden it was just like instant improvement. And uh, one day I got a random call and it was, it was Jeff and he was in a pinch and I think they either needed something worked on or my mechanic to look and we kind of became friends. But uh, you know, not, not too many of us in the room, some of the sales guys might, might know Jeff, but just, just kind of wanted to, to introduce him because he's, you know, it's, it's been good kind of developing that friendship and bouncing ideas off each other. And that's what, that's what round tables like this are all about is just, you know, I get more out of, uh, you know, just sitting there talking with my buddies than I you know, do at you know, national GCSAA meetings and, you know, uh, chemistry seminars and stuff like that. So uh, it's been good getting to know Jeff. He's done a great job. I hear fantastic things down at Saddle Creek and, um, just keep rocking and rolling, man. I mean, that's, uh, that's what it's all about. And, you know, I encourage you to come to more of these. And uh, this, this has helped me career development-wise. I mean, I've uh, been in Middle Tennessee eight and a half, Georgia for four, and it's, it's tough to stand in front of a microphone and talk to a bunch of people I don't know. I, I don't know 95% of the guys from Metro Nashville here. I don't know some of the sales guys in here, but I'd, I'd like to get to know all of you. It, it's, uh, you know, it's it's not. I give BJ a ton of credit. Uh, that's that's one thing I'll say. It's it's tough to stand in front of a microphone and and uh, kind of put yourself out there. But it's, you know, the more and more I've come to these things over the years, uh, it it helps. And I'm I'm not the world's best public speaker, but it it it's good to uh, it's good to do and network and. And it's just something you you uh, you can learn a little bit from every meeting. If you guys take one thing away, or maybe there's an idea of how one club you know battled something during this pandemic, and you're like, man, we need to implement that at our club because that might help with you know revenue or just an idea about chemicals or equipment. Or I mean, there's there's so many different things that you could you could take away from this. Well said, Justin. You're up. All right, um, it all started for me at uh, getting an Austin P through a scholarship with the baseball program. Uh, team manager turned into a field tech pretty quick. Uh, my junior year, I met Henry Lane working on irrigation out there and got a job at the country club in 05 and graduated 06. Uh, didn't take long to figure out that's kind of what I wanted to be doing. And Henry said, just stick with him. And I learned a lot uh, through him working up to foreman. And we had a management company come in in 2014 and decided that Henry's run was over there, um, which kind of worked out for me. I moved right up to assistant. And in 15, I was interim for that summer there. And the management company brought in another one of their own guys. So I moved over to Eastland right down the road and was there for less than a year and back at the club now. Um, been there since 2016. Love it, uh, great crew. Um, that's kind of where we ended up. I don't know what that noise was. 
That's good. Um, so how, how's things been for you the, on your side of the business on, uh, during all this? We're private. Um, we knew about the virus. I feel like we were just kind of had our radar up. Yeah. Um, the membership acknowledged it. Uh, we, we did everything we could on our side to kind of cover the club, um, the noodles. Um, no ball washers, no rakes. Till they asked to put them back out. Um, didn't open the bathrooms till they asked to open them, yeah. uh, which was, you know, in my opinion, too early. I mean, I just kind of felt like we needed to watch our back. But, you know, honestly, we we just we cleaned more. Like Dan said, you kind of never think you're a dirty staff, but <laughs> you start doing the extra stuff and realizing how much more you could be doing. Yep. Um, just wearing gloves and disinfecting. You know, that's kind of where we are um, in it, you know, in the shop and out on the course. Yeah, I think there's um, I mean, obviously in golf, there's there's different. There's, we've got private, public, uh, metro, you know, governmental agencies. And there's there's different ways of doing things. Everybody's sure. different. I mean, private clubs are kind of geared to do what they want to do. And but they need to do what's best and and, you know, right. on down the line. So I think we have a difference of, of opinion in this room just based on what you know, what facility you manage or whatnot. So that's interesting. Has anybody else got any sort of thoughts about what they did or didn't do uh, as far as um, dealing with the this year being high or low? Or I know a lot of people are probably uh, doing be, being able to spend some money, do some capital projects. So if you got something like that going on, we'd love to hear about it. But until somebody says something, Jim, you got anything to add? I don't think so. Nah. You want to I'm, talk about your Patriots? I'm interested to uh, to hear from one of the Metro guys. You know, all the courses shut down for a certain amount of time. And um, <laughs> I want to know what you guys did during that time. Because, like, I, I live in East Nashville. I live close to Shelby. And I, I walked it a few times, you know, free of charge. And it was, it was, it was in fantastic shape. And it was, it was free and got some exercise and stayed six feet from everyone. And... You know, it was it was a blast. But can can you just let let us know what uh what you guys were doing during the time you were shut down? Yeah, I'm James Cardi. I actually manage a few courses right now. He took the run of it at the beginning because we had a uh, guy retire earlier this year. They haven't filled his position. They finally did like three weeks ago, and now I'm at three golf courses, getting paid for two and. Uh, Need to renegotiate. So, I got promoted. <laughs> the one I vacated got frozen. So, who knows how long this will yeah. last? Uh, so yeah, we have the same troubles when it comes to positions and filling them, and budget and all that. But our, I guess our, our play is up also. Uh, but our revenue can be down. Uh, You're good. Is down from uh, the times we had to replay. We had you know almost two months of replay. Yeah. And where are you at? McCabe. Are y'all doing the greens conversion? Yes, we switched over to 15. Yeah, that's good. How's that going? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Is it done? Yeah, we're complete. All we have a couple of shade issues, but uh, by June of next year, we should be. Now, did that take him the mic? So, all here, all of Metro is now Ultra Door. I just want to say, yeah, I had Ted Rhodes. Yep. The first few weeks was uh, a tailgate party, and uh, so our flags were 
sticks with beer cans up the top right. for, for a while. And they actually had the park police come and break up because people were tailgating in the parking lot for, for two weeks straight. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big party, man. There you go. <laughs> Free golf, why not? Now that the, you want. Did the greens conversion come out of all of this? Was that a decision made well, based? I, I know with the revenue being down, uh, mm -hmm. we just knew that this was a good opportunity to do that. Right. Our, our uh, revenue coming in, uh, you know, we're already down. So might as well go ahead and pull the trigger on something we're planning on doing next sure. year. Sure. That's awesome. We got a lot of greens to cover this winter. Yeah. Huge greens, double park. <laughs> That probably will add a little bit to the labor issue, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know what your labor is, but I would say that. that we didn't have any seasonals this year. Yeah. We relied on our normal staff. Short positions weren't filled, so vacated ones were stayed vacated. Hopefully, we'll get them all back. But safety protocols, we still don't have rakes. No coolers, no ball washers, any of that. We try to rake them as much as possible. The flags are back out. Yeah. Um, but. But yeah, pretty much everything else is still not on the golf course. We had to, we had to follow very strict, you know, with Cooper. Yep. We were following strict protocols. I'm sure. <laughs> so how how many weeks were were you not working, or did they switch you to another department temporarily, or that's kind of what I was. The grass still at grows. <laughs> so right. So some came in. We kind of took shifts and split the crew up. Come in one, two at a time to get the grass mowed, but. Uh, yeah, we were, I mean, everybody's getting paid for two months, two months vacation for a lot of people. It was great, but from a superintendent standpoint, you're like, oh, I got all this stuff that I got to do, pre-merge and Right, spring. so no, like, so no, like, like furloughs or anything? No furloughs. No. Good. In fact, Cooper was on how did you quite guys, a bit of scrutiny for that. How did you guys handle outbreaks or tests or procedures? Uh, we're getting into that now. For, for a while, we didn't have any problems, but now it's, if you're in contact, Two weeks off. Okay, so we, we some people every morning wear masks, social distance where possible. Yeah. Uh, if there's like a stage one contact uh, where your family member is, is test positive, then you have to take off uh, two weeks. So, and, and, or or if you get a, a negative test, also. So, so they, and it's changing, you know. Sure. It's changing all the time. They have a guy that they hired. That's interesting. So you said you had several positions unfilled on your staff right now, right? Yes. And then you said you had no seasonals. Your stat, your regular staff was full, but you had no seasonal. So how many, how many down does that put you compared to a normal year? Uh, we have, uh, we're four people down. So you're four per people down. Course. And you're how many? Per golf, about four down per golf course. So have you made any changes to kind of what the level of expectation is to align with having less people? I wish, but we're really good at what we do. So. <laughs> and we can't let it go. It's, but yeah, expectations are down. Uh, just make sure we prioritize the carpenter greens, the fairways, uh, not having to run coolers or move brakes, stuff like that. That sure. helps. For sure. That was mainly a seasonal type job, so that helped out more. Primo's our best friend this year. I hear you. For sure. I, I noticed that it takes us about two hours a day to do water coolers, and that's just something you never, you never think about. And, I mean, that's 10, 
10 hours and five, I mean, that's 14 hours a week you're saving, you know, times anywhere from 10 to $15 an hour. I mean, that, that does add up on yeah. that job. Um, I love the no water. And then you, you, you get to start thinking about it where it didn't bother you a year ago to, to touch that little spigot on the water cooler. And now you're like, <laughs> do I, you know, do I, do I want to? Is it, is it going to? Is it going to kill me? Am I going to am I going to get sick and die? I don't I don't know. But it I would agree. I've sprayed tons of Primo this year. Uh, thankfully, I haven't had to cut like like you guys. I, I I went one and a half positions less just just because, and I was very mindful uh, budget wise. And then you know the product ended up being pretty good. And then they're going to ask, well, you spent a hundred thousand dollars less this year than you did last year, and We've kind of adapted. We've, you know, eliminating some, some jobs, spraying a ton of primo. I mean, we've primoed roughs this year, uh, twice. We normally just do it once, and um, it's helped. amazing. It's it, it's amazing the the savings. You know, you're not having to send the extra labor out blowing grass clippings, or, you know, instead of hitting twice a week, you're hitting it once a week or once every ten days. Um, but it's it's a, uh, it's been interesting for sure. I think that's a good transition. I'd like to. We got. I'd like to know from the sales guys uh, if they're what what sort of perspective you got on this year. What are sales like? Um, centered around the you know fertilizers, chemicals, seed, whatever. Uh, anybody got any perspective on that? And Sean probably enjoys this primo talk. So. <laughs> what about you, Craig Kettleson with John Deere Greenville Turf and Tractor? Well, thank you, Dan. Um, it has been a great year for us. Um, you know, all the mom and pops that have gone five, six, eight years with equipment that was worn out five years ago, you know, they've all of a sudden seen a great big flush of play, and, and we're having a heck of a time keeping up with our used market just because these guys all of a sudden have a flush of cash. They don't know if it's going to add next year, you know, if the play is going to continue. So they're jumping on it while they can, while they've got a little bonus of cash. Um, the big clubs really haven't seen a change. Um, there's been some clubs that have kind of pushed a purchase off until next year, just because who knows what's going to happen today. This election may affect a lot of different things. And then COVID on top of that. So there's, there's a lot of factors that go into the major sure. purchases of a you know, half million dollars worth of equipment. But the small purchases have been phenomenal this year. Go COVID. <laughs> Sorry. So you're, so you're saying that you've actually um, seen people's, you know, the, the equipment sales has really done well. It's a better year than you've had in the past. And you think that's basically centered around the, 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 the rounds being up, revenue being up and all that Absolutely. directly? Yeah. I mean, I think the round thing is, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what the numbers are. Uh, I know you're the numbers guy, Brandon, but, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they actually are across the board um, as far as, do you have anything preliminary that you've seen? 
not not like that, but uh, the things that I've seen and heard are, I mean, the, the club that I play out of in Oak Ridge, uh, we've done well. Yeah. Um, I've talked to some national sales managers that have talked about how the resort slash travel oriented golf is getting hit hard, yeah. uh, like golf courses that are tied to hotels and things like that. And then places that have a lot of revenue that comes in for events uh -huh. where their budget is really made up of a lot more of the event type business where weddings aren't happening, large meetings aren't happening, uh, things like that, where that revenue's down and that's got to be made up for. And then just a couple of anecdotal stories. There's, you know, one of the clubs in town um, in Knoxville, uh, when, when all the lockdown really kind of took hold, uh, they were pretty proactive at wanting to make sure that they engaged their membership and still using the club, even if they weren't coming out to, to use the club. Sure. And so they got with, uh, they furloughed a lot of the people in the clubhouse, but they kept the, the head chef, the head cook, and I think a couple of hourly laborers and what was like a one day a week kind of uh, tapas kind of social experience at the club, they opened up into uh, a meal every every night from Tuesday to Saturday. And I think he said they were doing 20 some odd thousand dollars a week in, in food sales by basically preparing a meal. You got an email in the morning, you could you could opt in and you could come by at like six o'clock and pick it up and take it home. And, and their membership ate that up. And that's sure. an idea that, you know, that's one of the things that I'm always curious about is how many of these ideas will stick around uh, downstream after things quote unquote return to normal. Um, I can speak from my experience in the classroom. You guys talk about your shops being cleaner. My classroom has never been cleaner than it, yeah. it you know, I don't have to worry about dip cups hanging around. You know, there's uh, uh, just all of that stuff has gone <laughs> away. And, and now, like, when students come in, I teach three classes face-to-face. -face, and when they come in, we have a, a thing of sanitary wipes, like uh, antiviral bacterial wipes that uh, they have to get a wipe. They wipe down their, their desk station. Uh, at the end of class, they get another wipe and wipe it down. Um, and, and then the housekeeping uh, facilities folks are mopping and, and keeping the boards clean and all that kind of stuff. And that was a once every couple of weeks kind of thing. And that's happening like all the time now. And the classroom is like spotless and it's amazing. I'm curious, Thurston, I, I got a question for you. Uh, you your, your course is fairly new. I mean, it's been around, but I mean, you, you've got a lot of development. Uh, has that picked up because of all this that's happened, or what? What is? What are your thoughts on some of the things that are going on out there at Troubadour? Uh, we're we're staying busy. Uh, a lot of the house construction is still booming and still yep. uh, still going. I think uh, for a while there in March, like everybody, uh, we know what's going to happen, uh, but we still remained open. Yep. The single single cart riders and uh, but. Uh, the housing and the projects, you know, have are still continuing, but you know, like you said, not knowing things have slowed down a little bit just because uncertainties of sure. and supplies. Uh, that's been the hard thing is actually getting supplies to do some of these projects that they're uh, that we're doing on the course and throughout the, the development. Yeah, uh, that, that's that's been the hardest thing is just trying to acquire supplies. Yeah. 
I've got a I'm, question for Sean Emick uh, with Syngenta. <laughs> um, supply chain, you know, I've talked to some of the equipment guys and it seems like every company has a few select pieces of equipment where, you know, they're, they're having issues getting it because it's made in other countries and because of lockdowns and government regulations, we're getting things slower. Where I, you know, I, I feel blessed to have a very good technician working on my equipment. He, pieces of equipment he'd have up in, you know, a day or two are now taking two to three weeks because we're waiting on parts that used to come overnight. Now we're waiting, you know, weeks on end. So from a chemical and, and fertilizer uh, standpoint, you know, where, where are not just your company, but the industry in general? And because uh, I know a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff comes out of China uh, and, and many other countries around the world. So speak to that, please. Yeah, um, I guess we're sort of blessed in the industry in the fact that we do early order. And the whole reason for early order from a manufacturer's perspective is to get next year's bookings in November, forecast production, make sure that we're not stocked out of things. And I can only speak for Syngenta. I can't speak for Bear BSF. But uh, from our perspective, we have not had any supply issues uh, with, with products. Uh, the tariffs, those kind of things around the world have not affected our supply whatsoever. Um, you know, it's interesting to hear the comments about the extra PGRs going out. Uh, one trend I'm seeing this year is to actually uh, take mixed trimmage and primo together to gain an extra week, maybe eight to ten days of extra residual that primo doesn't give by itself. So that's, uh, for everyone in the room, that's one trend that uh, I want to point out because labor is so short and, and uh, you only have so many hours during the day to get things done. Yeah. Uh, I'm also curious as to, you know, with the extra uh, boom we just had in, in rounds, I'm under the assumption that a lot of the uh, capital budgets are going to be increased for next year and maybe curious to hear for people in the room are your maintenance and, and chemical and fertilizer budgets going to stay flat they're going up a little bit uh, and, and most of those gains are they being viewed as a windfall for the year and most of those profits are going to go into capital budgets I'm assuming but I, I wanted to get your clarification and feedback on that. That's a good question anybody up here want to answer that? If we don't pass the 34 no, percent? Okay. Is but anybody, will you get the four guys back that you're down right now? Yeah. That hopefully, once all that goes through, it's, it's a bad Okay. I think I think the thoughts around the budget are are, are a curious one because are we looking at this year as an anomaly? is something that is going to continue to be for years to come and can you bank on that or is it something that you you might say okay we can we've got some money now let's go ahead and do some things but we need to temper that with things are probably going to get back to normal i don't know what do you think well some of the member owned clubs are largely unaffected from what i see now in my experience 
and like Justin Browning at Clarksville, we are private, but we are owned by a single owner, or in Justin's case, a group of four or five investors who formed an LLC. So some of their businesses may be hurt. My boss has seen a, he's making 25% of the income that he normally is used to making downtown Nashville. So we're up with the other clubs, some of the other big clubs in town, um, like a Hillwood or a Richland or a Bell Mead, you know, their their lifeblood is those member dues, and their and golf is booming, and memberships are selling like crazy. So, if anything, their budgets and with all the wear and tear, their budgets are going to need to go up. Now, I don't really feel that that's going to be the case. We'll be lucky to get back to where we were last year. Like I said, I probably had about a 13 to 15% reduction in what I spent last year to where I'm at this year. Because my boss, quite frankly, isn't making as much money as he's used to. And, and Justin's people, I don't know what his investors do, but I think, I think we're in a little bit different, uh, a little bit different boat. I mean, every situation, just because golf, you know, we're used to doing 80 rounds a day. We're, we're averaging, at peak season this year, we were averaging 150. Now we're back to about 110, because these people learn that they can do in three hours on a Zoom call what it's taken them eight hours of being sorry in an office, and so they can wake up at 6 a.m., knock their Zoom call out, and go to the golf course. And uh, so the demand for golf is not, I don't believe it's gonna go away, but it's definitely a problem, you know, for the Metro guys, and, and, and even though we're private, I don't feel like we're in the same category as some of the other member-owned clubs who, as a group, fund the facility versus a single owner. I think, I think a lot of the, the question about what, what's going to happen with rounds and, and golfers is largely dependent on what happens when, quote unquote, things return to normal. And you see this all over the country, right? Like uh, Manhattan, there's lots of people that own real estate in downtown Manhattan that are really wondering where companies are figuring out, hey, you know, for no rent, we can have our workforce stay at home and get the job done, and we're paying for this really expensive building in downtown Manhattan, and we don't need to be paying for that. So sure. they, they don't go back to that, where other businesses are, are they, they own their buildings or they own their real estate, and they're trying to figure out how do we make sure that our workforce comes back to the office, because we're having to up, you know, keep up this piece of real estate that we probably can't offload right now because there's plenty of open commercial real estate. And so we're sitting here on a, on a cost that, that we don't have people filling. Uh, at the university, we're starting to have that conversation where the, you know, we're getting emails in, in the last couple of days about you know, returning to campus. We need to come back to campus. We've shown that, that uh, the, the transmission isn't taking place on campus. And, in the classroom, I think that's true. I mean, our, our transmission rate on campus is has dropped to now right around 1%, which is fantastic. Uh, students are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Employees and faculty and staff are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, but I think it's a little bit premature to think that uh, we've quote unquote demonstrated that we can reduce transmission because there's nobody there. And as a pathologist and a person that studied epidemiology for my PhD, um, whether you're talking about a turf grass disease or you're talking about a human disease, the disease triangle still exists. 
And uh, if you don't have hosts, uh, us, in close proximity to each other, then you don't have disease. Sure. And that doesn't mean you've successfully done anything. You've just eliminated the host from the triangle. And so as people come back onto campus, I suspect that we'll start seeing you know, people transmit the virus that are infected and so on. We, we do have uh, and were recently ranked among uh, colleges in a, in a national publication for college administrators as number five in our corona res coronavirus response uh, because we have a pretty robust testing uh, program and that kind of stuff in place. Uh, but uh, it, I think it's a little premature. But I think the getting back to the rounds question, I think as as we kind of get back to normal, it's going to really be largely dependent on like what you said, Dan, about, well, does this person now have to go back to the office and spend eight hours in the office, or are they able to be trusted by their employer to get their job done, and then the time that's left during the day that they may have, they can knock out emails and stuff while they're, while they're knocking the white ball around, then they're going to keep doing that. And I think that's where the rounds question is going to be answered is, is how much of that returns to I've got to be in the office sending emails from my workstation versus I can be on my mobile phone playing golf and returning emails. Yeah. Well, I think as a boss, you got to look at it. As long as your employees are getting the job done, like I've been a little bit more lenient. My second assistant, uh, Jeffrey Lawrence, is sitting back here. But when we get our product dialed in in six hours, and I'm like, I know there's stuff that there's always stuff that we can do to make that place better. But I feel like I've been more lenient, like, hey, we, we got the job done today. Guys, you, you guys did great. Let's head to the house. I think employers and big corporations, as long as that employee is making them money and making them look good, I don't think big bosses at these big corporations are going to care if that job took 10 hours or it took two hours. Because as long as it's making the boss money at the end of the day, you know, I, I don't... I, so I see a, a shift of management styles, and that's something we'll all have to assimilate and adapt to. Is, is you know possibly looking at changing how we manage people or manage our resources. Um, just feel like if, if 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 you can get the job done, then uh, you know bosses will be a little bit more lenient on you know cutting out at 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> to go play golf four days a week. Well, and I, th I think it also, it, it, it also is, it, you could flip it on the other side is, is that there are definitely going to be those out there that view that as, well, that's an opportunity to get more productivity for the same amount of money. If you demonstrate you can get the job done in two hours and I'm paying you for eight, then there's six hours that I need to get more, or I'm going to pay you for two. And so that, that potential is out there, but I think you're right in the sense that one of the things that especially this younger generation that's entering the workforce is clamoring for is more work-life balance that that this in a lot of ways and Dr. Brosnan can speak to this with some of the things that we've done in our program this year is that like one of the things that has kind of helped us with some of the things that we've done is that we kind of don't have a choice like coronavirus got forced on us and so we've been able to adapt and do some things that we maybe had talked about as being like, well, that's something to think about. But then we've, we've done it because we've had to adapt. And then we see the benefits of having done it. And now we're saying, well, maybe we want to keep this going. 
and maybe look at other things that we can adapt to and change and maybe move forward in a positive direction. And I think that's one of the things that has the potential to come out of some of this is that the workforce has had to adapt to doing this and it's quite possible that moving forward that that adaptation kind of sticks and stays and allows people some free time during the day to do some things, whether it's go play golf or get outside and exercise and, and all of those kinds of things that ultimately end up making you a more productive worker because of the fact that you maybe are maintaining your sanity a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I want to uh, change the topic a little bit. Uh, I've been texting Brandon and Jim uh, quite a bit during the pandemic and kind of a funny story when I remember it vividly because Jim and I were texting back and forth and you know it was like week two of the shutdown and you know my wife and I are sitting there wondering you know when we're going to get sick and, and who's going to take care of who and, and you know it's just listen you, you I don't care which side you're on you you we've all bit on it a little bit and you know it was right after my wife had gotten home from the grocery store and she's sitting over there with this sanitizing product called microbands spraying the damn groceries off <laughs> and wiping them down and you know and, and doing everything we can and and I'm, I'm sitting here texting to Jim and he's like you know I'm so thankful to be at the University of Tennessee working for the state government you know I've had some opportunities over the years but there's something to be said for some stability now no one is a hundred percent untouchable but you remember that conversation we oh, had yeah, and how thankful sure. you were to to but then what was next was not all of your grad students necessarily or researchers are, are covered under kind of the same state of Tennessee umbrella and and you That's were right. talking about some of the funding from BASF and Syngenta and Bayer and FMC and all these companies that really give you not only product but research dollars so uh, yeah I mean I think I know where you're going here Dan that and Brandon will, I'm sure will share the sentiment too that you know as as professors at the university our, our salary is covered and we get about $3,000 a year in operation, and that's it. And I have, I think, right now, eight full-time people, right? Uh, two research technicians that have worked for me for 12 years that are full salary, full benefits, that are, it's 100% on me to bring in revenue to support them. Graduate student, two, uh, three graduate students right now. Uh, that's Not that anybody's counting. Yeah, 100% on me to bring in the revenue to, to support them, and and then undergraduate student workers that, that do maintenance at our facility is the same way. And I mean, one of the biggest stresses, you know, in my work life is continuing to bring in the funding to pay those people. And many of you in this room know, know the, who those people are. And, you know, and Brandon has a, a program as well with people who work for him. And one of the early things in the pandemic for us was, are we gonna have funds available to support the people who work for us? Because that's that's a real stress and you know lucky enough we got through 2020 in a, in a position where everything was maintained and solidified and you know god willing that'll continue through 21 here forward but that was it was definitely a opportunity for reflection for sure yeah. so did either of you ever have like you know your 
your employees are nervous because they kind of know where the money comes from. Do either of you remember having actual meetings? Yeah. Sit downs with your entire team? Yep. Oh, absolutely. 100% sat down and, and, and told everyone who worked for me that I met with our business manager and we went through the finances. And if, if, if we didn't get a research dollar, if nobody wanted to do a project this year, this is how long everybody could continue to get paid. And just trying on my, as, as the boss, just trying to just put it all out there. This is where we're at. This is realistic. What's, this is a worst case scenario. We're going we're gonna to hope for the best and plan for the worst, right? And, and move forward. And luckily, we were at a point where we didn't have to come to that. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, and I would say, like, for, for me, I don't have quite as big a program uh, on the research side as Jim does. But, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. And our, our former department head likes to use the analogy of shops in a mall. It's one of the things that I think gets misunderstood about you know university faculty is that you, there's some magical pot of money that all the tuition dollars go into and you just you know take out a deposit when you need some money to do something and that's not how it works the the money that funds the programs that we do and and the research that we do comes largely from the industry and from granting sources and that it's 100% our responsibility to provide those resources to engage our program and we have to be self-sufficient in that sense and that shops in a mall analogy is kind of pretty apropos in the sense that the university is the mall and it's run and managed by a group and so the re basic resources are there for you to do your job but the the success or failure of any individual shop in the mall is largely the result of that shop owner and we're the shop owners and and we have to bring in the resources to do that and for me like my trial work was down a little bit uh, but I think that was largely where companies made strategic decisions about, you know, products that are in the pipeline that maybe could be put on hold for six months to a year to kind of pull back some, some revenue and capital and hold that because there was some uncertainty, especially early on. But then once we kind of got our sea legs, if you will, and kind of everybody started to kind of feel like, okay, we're going to be able to do this. We're going to have a workforce that's working out of their homes, but we're still be going to be able to do business and have meetings and that kind of thing. Then I started getting, you know, emails like, hey, can you put this trial out really quick? Yeah, sure. No problem. Send me the product. And, and so we, you know, we were able to kind of, you know, we, we got through this year, you know, relatively fine, but it was the same kind of conversation of, hey, listen, you know, you, you're, you're paid off of funds that I bring in for this. And if, if these funds don't come in, uh, uh, you know, happy trails and and then I was thinking you know because it's me and my research associate uh, that okay so then what do I do if if I have to let because then all of a sudden you know Professor Horvath gets to go start mowing the couple of research greens and top dressing the research greens and doing all those kinds of things for my program that he takes care of and and then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a professor so you know how do I handle that and w what kind of conversation do I have to have with my supervisor about like hey listen uh, my research programs in jeopardy because we're not getting funds because of this and then I mean as much as we're thankful that we have a university job I mean I, I was on the coronavirus task force for the university about bringing, you know, how do we bring students and folks back to campus and do it safely and that kind of stuff. And I was involved in the outreach and engagement piece. But I mean, early on, there were very real conversations about, you know, students saying, well, if, if I got to do this online, I'm just not, I'm not paying the tuition to go here. And if we saw a huge drop in enrollment, then like that puts all of our jobs in jeopardy because that's, 
the kind of money that does pay for salaries and faculty positions and things like that. And so that became a very real thing of like, well, what, what do we do when the furloughs happen? Because um, we probably wouldn't lose our job permanently, but w it would be like you're furloughed for a month and you're not going to get paid. And then you got to figure out how to make your mortgage payment and everything else. And so that the, we had some and of those that, conversations. And that happened. Like that happened at the University of Arizona this spring. Yeah. That their faculty were furloughed. Um, so yeah. we, we, you know, we tried to prep for that. And, and, you know, as we talked about today, like when norms break, they don't ever really go back to what they were. They form into new things. And I think some of these behavioral patterns that we've, we've touched on this morning are going to continue. And like, you know, we, we feel that, you know, one of those things might be maybe enrollment five years from now is, a, is way down from what it was, you know, five years before now. We're trying to push towards having more digital offerings, more online stuff available for individuals to, whether it's to get pesticide certification points or to do a full-blown certificate program where you can get online turfgrass education and kind of go at your own pace you know, choose your own adventure through the process. That's one of the things that the pandemic kind of pushed the program to do, to be proactive in that measure, because it's, you know, it, it kind of, it showed us that we, while we're one of the bigger programs in the country, we're not really that big in that space. And it's an opportunity to become more proactive and be a part of that space. And, and I'd say too, the, the other thing that fortunately for us is that enrollment is actually up. Um, and from, from this experience this fall, I'll, I'll, the other things that I think come out of it, because you, you said you were interested in kind of hearing overall what the university is doing, is that, I mean, we have, like I mentioned, we have a, a robust testing program. So one of our uh, prominent, uh, they're called governor's chair faculty, uh, who is a molecular biologist, has taken the lead on uh, pooled testing across campus. So. Uh, every couple of weeks, there's, um, there's a, a set of vials in a residence hall. Uh, the students are required. They're not, it's, not the, it's not an option. If you sign your housing contract, you signed up to do this. So they're required as, as much as humanly possible to then uh, do a saliva test. So they spit into a vial. Those vials are collected, uh, brought to this governor's chair lab. They're pooled into pools of three, four, or five tested for coronavirus uh, RNA, and if, if that pool tests positive, then those three, four, or five students are contacted and told to go to the health center and get a diagnostic test uh, to then figure out if, A, if it's a, a real positive, and B, uh, which one of those three, four, or five students it is. Uh, and then we've got another governor's chair that's uh, testing the wastewater out of like 38 or 39 buildings on campus. Uh, that's certainly not a job I would want. Uh, but uh, they're testing to see if they're detecting the virus in wastewater streams uh, from, because when we, when we get infected with viruses in general, we shed them through pretty much every uh, orifice of our bodies, including uh, the back end. So uh, they're testing that to detect it in, you know, and look at the presence on campus, which is amazing. Um, and, and so this task force, I mean, we sat down, we, we had meetings with, uh, doctors that are experts in pandemic uh, pandemics in general uh, and talk to us through the whole you know the whole process of what coming back onto campus was going to be and the chancellor made a pretty big 
you know, push in, in the direction that we were going to be back on campus. It was probably going to look different than a normal campus experience. It is. I'd say that the activity level on campus is roughly, what would you say, Jim, 15 or 20 percent of normal? Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, and, and, and so it's, it's definitely reduced. Uh, the students are, you know, largely uh, pretty burnt out at this point from fall semester. We went through with no Labor Day holiday, no fall break, so they've gone straight through from mid-August to now. We're going to finish up right before Thanksgiving and be done with the semester except for finals, which will be done online. Um, and uh, they, they're relatively miserable because about half of their classes, if not slightly more, are online only. Um, uh, so, I, like I said, I teach three face-to-face -face classes, and one of the things that I've also noticed is that they're extraordinarily appreciative of being in class. Um, my attendance has never been as good as it is this year. Uh, the performance on tests and quizzes and things are better than they've been in years past, and I think that's largely because they kind of appreciate something that they didn't realize, which was you know, being able to go to class. My son, who's a sophomore in high school, has said the same thing. I'm like, hey, what happened to dad? My stomach hurts. I don't want to go to school today. Dad, I don't feel good. He's like, no, I like going to school. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, I like, I like being around my friends. And, and like realizing that, and that, that's a huge takeaway that, you know, had this not happened, I'd still be dealing with it at 7 o'clock in the morning, like, oh, I don't feel the, I don't want to go to school. And that's not happening. Which is nice, because now I come in and I go, hey, bud, it's 7, 7.30, time to get up. And he's like, all right, Dad, I'm up. Gets up, off we go. So we're, we're learning life skills, too, so that's, that's cool. And, and I think we're going to see that in the state, right, with our state associations, that, you know, we had, we've had these meetings ever since I've been in Tennessee, and we go to the meetings, and it just kind of became relatively mindless. And I think when we get back to having more of them, people are going to really appreciate having the ability to be in the same space with each other and see their friends and colleagues and and kind of the the camaraderie portion in particularly of our industry is going to be i think maybe more valued than it was before this happened yeah absolutely um kind of like this gentleman said what's your name again james, james. Uh, the grass doesn't stop growing and we're all in an industry. I, I remember the day I went in and, and told the, my whole staff, sat them down, they, it was basically when it was really hitting the fan whether they were gonna, we were gonna continue working or not continue. And the, the look of relief on everyone's face, you know, we didn't have the luxury, and I'm glad you're back to work, by the way, but, but we, they weren't gonna get paid for two months. I mean, we're, you know, I don't even know about furlough. It'd probably just be let go. Um, the, the look of relief on their face, of, uh, you know, they, most of my guys, I know all six of my uh, Guatemalan employees, they lost their second job, so they were so thankful to be working on the golf course. So my biggest fear, it wasn't necessarily, hey, can I go, you know, I can go for a little while without a paycheck, but a lot of my guys can't. And you guys are two of the best doctors in turf grass because you have an A team. And when you build a good team, you know, 100%. you're saying you're down four guys. And maybe there are guys that come back every season, and th those are key members of your team. 
you don't know, you're not guaranteed to get those four guys back, those same four guys, you know, and maybe they're already trained. So I'm only as good as my weakest crew guy, and then we, you know, we've got a very good crew, and you've got a good team. So if you lose any of your grad students, or Javier, your research, you know, your uh, your field guy, and and one of your your key guys, you're not guaranteed to get it back. Maybe another university who's doing a little better poaches him. Maybe he goes into a totally different industry because hey, he's got a wife and two kids. He's got a he's got a feed. Um, so that was that was a. It, it really, this whole, just uh, the human element, I mean, it was really emotional. I mean, I'm like, okay, well, I can go about a year, okay, and then I'm, I'm going to be tapped out, and, you know, you, it, everyone's got to work. So we're in an industry. The grass doesn't stop growing. We, most of us never, thankfully, missed a paycheck. In our, in our industry, there's been very few golf courses where employees have been totally shut out. I, I hate it that you guys lost four guys. I hope you get that back on the budget next year. I hope the four, the same four guys that you're used to come back. Not guaranteed though, but you start losing key members of your team. I mean, if I lose Jeffrey, you know, he's been my number one guy for the last two years and there's a trust there. There's a trust with my mechanic. I trust that things are gonna get fixed perfect every time. If I've gotta let him go, even temporarily, he might not be able to go two or three months without a paycheck. So it was, it was really a, uh, it was an emotional time as a, as a boss just because I, you know, I wanted so bad to be able to, for those guys to keep providing, but, but number two, when all of it ends, maybe it'll end tomorrow, who knows? One of the candidates said it's gonna end tomorrow, so uh, we're not going down that in, on this. Uh, <laughs> I'm editing that out if you do. On, on this podcast. Good, good move. So, uh, yeah, it, it was just uh, it was a, a sigh of relief to, to be able to tell the guys, hey, man, we're working. We're going to keep rocking and rolling. Wash your hands. You know, wipe off the surfaces. Let's clean the shop every day. Um, well, and I think, too, one of the, the messages, if you're a manager in here, is that, you know, regardless of how you feel about this thing, it's, I'll make the argument, it's the biggest challenge you will have faced as a manager in your career. And it might be the biggest challenge you ever face as a manager in your career. And I think that we get very wrapped up in day-to-day -day operations in our business, right? We gotta go mow, we gotta cut cups, we gotta, do all, we gotta do all the things that make a golf course run. And that's important, but I would challenge everyone in here to also take that time to reflect a little and deliver that message to your crew that the fact that you were able to maintain day-to-day -day operations with all these other variables going on is a significant accomplishment that you should be proud of. And as Dan was saying, think about the bottom guy on your crew. If you took the time to pull that person aside and let them know that, like, that could be a really meaningful conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anyone, uh, I know we got all the golf guys here, Any just like the Metro Parks Department, is is any anybody in here? Okay. <laughs> so let me know, like, how were, was their department uh, affected any differently or treated any differently than really. than yours? It wasn't. They had, I mean, they had staggered. Stag stagger shift. Right. 
Okay. So, so we talked about Primo use a little, right? You said you sprayed a lot of Primo this year. What else, management-wise, other than maybe PGRs and roughs, different? Bermuda, Bermuda, Bermuda green, green renovation. Conversions. Hey, Sean, will you hand him the microphone, please? You're up. So are all the, all the metro courses now Bermuda grass putting yeah, services? We, well, yeah, most of them are old Dorf. They're still. Shelby has they're, the they're 328, older, is it? Uh, they're good. Yeah, I they're mean, still, they're all good. And that, that was huge in losing our staff, you know, the, the seasonals who normally would be going around with the hose, you know, watering down hot spots. You don't really have that much. I mean, wedding agents, probably we use a little bit more. So yeah. we didn't have to, to worry about any dry spots. But uh, yeah, over, overall, Primo is, is really the, the only way we got through it. And I'll ask this question. Any plateau use in roughs? I know this is something that's talked about within the golf industry. Talk about that a little bit. So plateau is a herbicide, uh, mainly used on roadsides. Um, it does have golf course labeling and a long list of other use sites, including railways, railroads, rights away, et cetera. You can, you can, you can Google it. Um, it's something that is being kind of positioned uh, in the golf industry for regulation of higher height of cut Bermuda grass. And in my opinion, it's kind of dangerous, right? At, at, this is something that can be really injurious to Bermuda grass for a long time. We did work this summer, we looked at rates from two to six ounces on I think four different Bermuda grass cultivars and you do regulate the grass, if you get the rate too high, you, you make the grass really, really angry. It'll grow out of it, you're not gonna kill Bermuda grass with really anything you spray on it, it'll just make it marrying degrees of mad. But uh, just, it, it's something that BJ, I'd, I'd tell anybody that's considering doing it to be really careful and Error on the low end and work up rather than are you making word of mouth it? Are you making any recommendations as of right now? Or are you just kind of seeing trials and different you know things like so that? So I I don't know that I could recommend it right now based on what I saw this yeah. summer. Um, I don't you know with one year data on several cultivars. I mean to get regulation for 21 days. Uh, with the injury risk that's there, I just, that's not something I can feel really all that good about, particularly with only one year, right? You know, if we yeah. rep this out and it's consistent, I'd feel a little bit more confident then. Um, I just think there's tons of unanswered questions about environmental effects on that application. What does it look like in a program? You know, we, we're only in our trials, we spray a five foot by five foot plot once. Well, that's not spraying 20 acres, right? Um, what does it look like at scale? What does it look like with sequential applications? What does it look like if you've got Bermuda grass, maybe you've got some tree shade that's on top of that, or you've got areas where you've got surface runoff of water so the, the soils can uh, are at a higher level of moisture for longer. There's just, there's a ton of questions out there when we look at that use pattern when we contrast it with Primo, which has been around a long time and we know a lot about. Yeah. How would you say you would compare it maybe to super low rates of glyphosate or something like that? 
for regulation? So we haven't really t tested that. I know my colleague at Clemson, Burt McCarty, did some work on that several years ago. Uh, it, I think that it would be similar in terms of the degree of growth regulation. Yeah. I think it would be similar in the inherent risk of what you're doing yeah. also. Uh, so the story would kind of be the same. Um, when we look at plateau applications, it's kind of the same concept as, as with the, the glyphosate thing that uh, you alluded to, that it's fractions of the use rate. That has all sorts of downstream effects on selecting for resistant biotypes that we're not going to talk about <laughs> today. Um, but it's fractions of the use rate. You know, I, I laugh that uh, I've heard of superintendents using this, thinking like, oh, they're going to put it out, regulate the grass, and control goosegrass or, you know, a problematic weed and turf when, if you look at the label, the, the use rates for weed control are, you know, maybe triple yeah. what we're using for growth regulation. The, the, the math doesn't add up. Well, and, and there's also, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but I know in, in fungicides, um, there's sometimes discussion about, well, I could use like a half rate of this and a half rate of that and get similar control. Um, and I'm usually pretty quick to point out that if you're, if you're just, just like going above the labeled rate is a violation of the label, going below the labeled rate for a use is also a violation sure. of the label. And then that becomes issue, you know, regulatory and legal kinds of issues that you can get yourself into for really no good yeah. reason I ask that because we I maintain a driving range it's, it's all it is, is out in the field and we use we went to instead of primo or um, we, we we started using low rates of glyphosate and it I mean it not we weren't worried about what it looked like but it just to keep the mowing down it was all it was for it's also kind of funny how before 2020 all anybody wanted to talk to me about was glyphosate and now yeah. nobody wants to talk yeah. about glyphosate for anymore. Sure. <laughs> we don't see the ads at Monday Night Football. It's, it's Suddenly just, that <laughs> problem went away, didn't it? I think it's a good transition. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, what we're doing, kind of steps that we're taking, whether you were, you know, noodles in the hole, you know, taking coolers, bunker rakes. I'm, I'm curious as to what's going to sort of be the fallout and what are the things that people are going to do differently now going forward. We talked about staffing, uh, use of growth regulators and things like that. So uh, what, are, what are some of your thoughts about are we going to see bunker rakes back on the course, guys going to start doing things like that, or are we going to sort of stay where we're at? Anybody got any thoughts on that? Y'all doing any of that, Kevin? Uh, yes, currently we still have, have the bunker, no bunker rakes out. Uh, we will probably look at putting them back out next year. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure about, and right now, like our, our trash cans and, and simple things like that, we're, we're every other hole. Um, don't think I'm gonna put trash cans out on every hole again, and probably not ball washers on every hole. Um, the noodles have been nice. I know, how many have noticed that your cups have stayed a lot sharper? <laughs> with the noodles and and the white rings aren't getting damaged by by the toe of the putter when they jab that putter in there um i'm gonna try and keep them in there as long as i can but so kevin i'll ask the devil's advocate question why put them back the bunker eggs that's where i was going that, that that's a good question um i haven't been able to rake bunkers every day and you know, in, in, a, in a lot of our tournaments, they've even let us sometimes even play them up in bunkers. 
So with, without rakes being there, and, and that's a possibility. Um, it, for me, it's a visual thing. When I, when I go out there and I see that, you know, the bunkers haven't been raked by us, and then I see just footprints, and we have, seems like thousands of deer that love playing in the bunkers every day. Um, you know, just every little bit helps if a golfer would do it. Um, any, any golfer complaints with them not being there? No, I haven't had any. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I think most golfers are, are pretty understanding during this time, but I think um, at least I, I know for, for myself, if I'm playing a competitive round, and you can speak to this as well, that, I mean, I want, I don't, I don't have to have a perfect lie. I understand that it's golf, right? Like it, it, bad lies happen and we have to be able to adjust, but I, I'm, I'm not going to be okay with being in a footprint and having to play it down in a bunker. Um, and if I, if I am, then I want it to be that way for everybody. Um, and that, that becomes a, a challenging situation. So I think, I mean, I think for daily play, there's a chance that, that there might be fewer rakes. It might be a rake in place kind of thing for a local rule or something like that. But, but I know, I mean, I, I talk with, with one of the pros that I know and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, you guys haven't been signing scorecards, right? And, no, and then he ran into an issue at the, at the senior at the PGA senior, down yes, in Florida where they were required yeah. to sign a card and he didn't sign a card because they haven't been signing cards in Tennessee and, and got DQ'd after being in top 20. And right. that's, and, I mean, that costs you money, that costs you births and in future qualifiers for the senior PGA and things yeah. like that. So like those kinds of things are like, some of that stuff is like, really? Like that, you had and to do that of all the years to do that? You did it this year? You, you really were a stickler for right. a non-science and, 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 I, and I talked with Glenn about that and there were some other issues there also, but yeah, the, we started our tournaments out pretty much at, when, when we started back pretty much no rakes on the courses, and, and we did get to play them up. And, and then we started carrying a rake per group. Right. You know, and that's another option that, that we may look at doing is, is seeing if we can. I, I don't know how that's gonna work with, with uh, I hate saying this, but with the kind of clientele that we have, <laughs> pretty regular. Um, but you know, that's a possibility for, for some of the private clubs, and you may already be doing that. Um, and, and some places we played do have, have already got the rakes back out. Um, but yeah, and, and we, we have the rakes back out at our place. And, and one of the things that I think too, and this is, this is worth mentioning, not, not um, just in a bigger sense, is that one of the things that I've, I've kind of reflected on with all of this is that, you know, to Jim's point about this being the largest management challenge you guys might face, it's also the first pandemic that we've had, regardless of, of, and this is not to make any uh, like you know you know uh, co comparisons to other uh, pandemics, but this is the first global pandemic that we have gone through as a society where there has been a ticker on the side of every single news channel, every single outlet, uh, and then independent websites that keep track of how many people have it, how many people have died, how many people are in the hospital, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is the first one that has had that. Uh, previous to this, there has not been the case. And, and so those numbers uh, are, are instilling this, you know, a, a sense of fear, panic, anxiety among a lot of people 
in society, and, and in, in a lot of cases, I mean, this is a very serious virus. It's not something to be trifled with for sure, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of things that, that happen that aren't necessarily like, for example, bunker rakes and things that are sitting out in the sun in ultraviolet light, which has been shown numerous times to kill viruses that are just sitting on the surface, and yes, it's a time thing, but those are, those are the kinds of things that I sometimes bristle at, having the science background that I have, that I question, like how much of that is, whatever you want to call it, window dressing or to make people feel better, and th that's a lot of it. But at the same time, I think it does, every, every little thing that we can do to help keep people safe is a reason why we're doing and able to continue to do the business that we're doing too, so I'm, I'm cognizant of that. Uh, but I think it's really important to keep those kinds of things in mind too. What, what about single rider carts for a fee? Do we think that'll stay moving forward? That the golfer will have the option to, for a premium, take a cart by themselves as a, compared to riding with someone? I think it's gotta happen. Um, we're having a ton of breakdowns. I mean, you. It re the requirement, the staff requirements to wash those carts. You know, instead of having one to two guys, we're having three to four guys every afternoon. And we're turning the carts over at least twice a day. We have 70 golf carts. Well, those, those cars, they, they need water more frequently. They, they need servicing more frequently. So it's not just a, it's beating the hell out of my turf kind of. Uh, yeah, because a larger percentage of your cart fleet is going out. It, that's that's one of the big misnomers about there's more cart traffic. It's like there's not more cart traffic. You only have a certain number of carts in your fleet, but a larger percentage of that cart fleet is going out and turning over on a daily basis, right? So if we went from 80 rounds a day to 150, that's roughly double. And then if everybody in that foursome is single riding, it's not doubled our cart usage. It's, it's quadrupled. Four, four, 4X'd it, yes. Yeah. Um, so just not just from a turf standpoint, but from my boss's economic bottom line standpoint, more breakdown. We got out of our 70 carts, there's, there's eight broken down right now. Well, supply chain issues. And I know Metro had, because you guys use Yamaha, you know, Boswell's got hit hard, unfortunately. And they're, they're picking back up, but I'm, I'm happy to see him see doing that. But uh, that service tech, or there's, one or two or three of them, they're, they're running ragged to every golf course around fixing golf cars right now because there's such a high demand for, for carts. So if we're going to have the, the more employees to wash and sanitize them, if we're having my mechanic, you know, X number of dollars an hour working on this stuff all the time because Boswell's can't get to us in time, so that takes away from my operation. Yeah, uh, Old Hickory Country Club, if you want to ride a single rider, that's cool, but it's it's gonna be ten extra dollars, and and Kevin was it who it Kevin was said that yes. earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah ours is one and a half. Like at Oak Ridge, we're we're one and a half the normal cart fee if you yeah, want to be single rider. Now, typical typical clubs I think is around twenty bucks. So if if you want to ride a single rider, thirty bucks to me, that's that's fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you want to be sensitive to people's feelings. You want to be sensitive to people's age. You want to be sensitive to their uh, personal health and condition and whatnot, and, and I get it. And maybe maybe clubs have an exemption list. 
when I mean, it comes down to it, and then you get into, well, why does he get one and I don't? It's really tough to go down that road because there's not really a, life's not fair, there's not really a fair way to do it. So you gotta raise the price. What, what about getting an increased number of carts too? I mean, I was at a course the other day and there was 47 people on the golf course with 45 carts out. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I think your mic's off. There we go. There you go. So one thing I've, I've heard from a few golf courses is the outing revenue has been so so down. Even though rounds are way up, you know, so an average outing at Old Hickory is probably any a, a low end outing is fifteen thousand. A high end outing is thirty to thirty two thousand. And we made up for a lot in the fall. But during mid-peak season, we lost out on a lot of outings. Now, we, we did really well, like, financially over the course of the year. But I know um, an example, and BJ, you're doing some work. Uh, Champions Run down in Eagleville, great little neat, tidy golf course um, run by the uh, Graham family, Lou, Lou Graham, U.S. Open champion, and, and his, his nephews. Uh, they missed out on over 50 outings. And that's huge, even though their their day-to-day -day play was just light years above where it had ever been. And they're trying to make up some of those outings in the fall. And, and most people quit playing outings in like mid-October, because it starts getting a little cold and it's a little dicey whether you're gonna get a pretty day or not. And we're having outings booked all the way through first week of December this year. So we're, we're trying to make up even though we, we did well this year, there, there's some clubs that, that really is part of their life lifeblood in, uh, in their bottom line. Dan, do you think that'll carry over into 21 with more Monday outings and less opportunity for you to get things done on Mondays? Yeah, we, um, they're trying to book as many as, as possible. I mean, they, they really are. Um, my owners have been pretty neat, pretty cool about it. Uh, they give me till... 11 o'clock on, on Mondays. We used to be closed, being private on Mondays, so now we're open to the members from 11 till dark. Um, if the owners wanna play and he wants to bring out some of his business partners or celebrities or whatnot, our agreement is 9.30. That allows me to get the top dressing sand drug in, you know, so I don't have some of his high-end clientele you know, complaining about sand on the greens or bunkers not being right. So, They've been working with me. Um, but as the year's gone on, like it was crazy. We didn't have any, it was just member play after 11. Now we're doing outings every Monday. Uh, people are making up, businesses are making up. Do I think it's gonna carry over? Um, no, I think people, and I know, I know there's spikes going on and stuff like that. I, I think the virus is, uh, I, I, don't, I guess it's not gonna go anywhere, I guess. Hopefully we get a vaccine and then everyone can just, you know, I guess go back to their normal life, hopefully. Um, but you've got to learn to live with it, no matter how, how bad or 
know, how minimal. Uh, so I think as Americans, we're not really set up to shut down. We don't have the discipline of a lot of other countries. Uh, I know poorer countries typically have more discipline. Just my own experience working with a lot of um, my Guatemalans who come from very poor families. Um, their families just locked it down. But I don't know is that, okay, if everyone in this room stayed at home for two weeks, um, does it eliminate the coronavirus? No, it, it doesn't. You, you stop the spread, and, or you stop, you slow the spread, and you, you know, you flattening curves and all this, all this other stuff. But, but no, it's, unfortunately, the outings are gonna continue to go on, because people will, as Americans, we, we can't go, if I leave the house without my cell phone, I'm gonna drive, I may go to work and get the guys going, but I'm gonna drive 15 minutes back home to get my cell phone, because we're not geared to, to not have our cell phone anymore, unfortunately. You know, when I was in high school, I didn't even have a cell phone. No big deal. Now, doing my emails and, and, and you know, we're getting a lot of our media on our cell phones, they, which is, it's, it's good and bad. There, there's a comedian that actually does, I can't remember which, uh, which one uh, to give him proper credit, but uh, he does a, I think it's Bill Burr, but he does a bit where he talks about if you really want to see where you're at as a human being, try leaving your house and going down around the corner with nothing in your pockets, no identification, no cell phone, no keys, nothing. And you did that as a kid with no worries. Like, yeah, mom, I'm going out to play. And as, an, as a grown adult with a responsibility for providing for a family, like you leave the house without your wallet, like how are they gonna identify me if a truck hits me? They won't know who I am. And oh my gosh, what, like, it's gonna take weeks for my, my wife to find me. And, 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 and it, it's, it does illustrate, like you're exactly right, like how attached we are to those kinds of things like a phone or, or uh, what have you. It's, it's it, absolutely true. Yeah, we're just, we're not geared as a society to be told no uh, as Americans, and I'm, I wouldn't wanna live anywhere else, I promise you that, but it's, uh, it's amazing that once you lose that control at your fingertips, um, it's, you just lock lock up. Uh, what I was curious about, Dan, is do you think you'll lose more Mondays, like with the demand for having outings and people wanting to get together? Do you think, you know, right now you're you've got the you know sunrise or before sunrise to 11? Do you see a scenario in 21 where maybe? there's some Mondays you completely lose because they're going to try to have big outings or, or, or double shotguns or whatnot. All right, so we've shifted. Like, we lost some high school and private school outings uh, that, that we had, some, you know, booster clubs and stuff like that that wanted to be a little more conservative and, and go ahead and cancel it this year. But we've, I'm in a little bit of, we picked up a lot of, like, music-related outings. Um, you know, uh, Kid Rock did an outing, and um, Luke Holmes did an outing, and, and uh, Randy Hauser did an outing. And, and so what we lost, and so I'm a little site-specific, but like Jeff or Justin or Kevin, I mean, did you guys see um, a decrease? Jeff, did you see a decrease in a certain type of outing, or, or, or are you still full-blown, nobody canceled? Did, did you pick some new ones up? Because uh, I don't think I'm uh, really the same like demographic. Because we did pick up different 
different outings when we lost them? We picked up one new outing, uh, but our outings were way, I mean, basically none. We had three all year. Uh, and like I said, we have been uh, at a point to where no one really wanted to be there. The course was so run down. So one of the objects that were, one of the objectives we've got is to sell that place. Uh, and that's something that we've got to concentrate on is to get that, which the pandemic really helped us. In, I mean, unfortunately for a lot of things, for some people, uh, like when the state courses were shut down, it drew people to us because we were privately owned, right? And we were the only place to play there locally. So uh, I guess that was a bad thing for the state, but it was good for us people to see what we have up and coming right with you know with things to do but uh, we've got a lot of work to do on the outings Kevin did, you, did as a state golf course did the state restrict who could come in I know I played an outing at um, what's the other course nearby I played with uh, with Tim and Kings Creek no state state course state. Uh, Montgomery Bell Tim's Ford Close by. Yes, it was Tim's Ford Tim's I played Ford. the outing yeah. on. Fantastic shape. Uh, I did play an outing there, but is, has there been any restrictions on who you're allowing in or there people were, there were There were group number restrictions early on, and we did not have any, any outings until probably mid-September. We, 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 we had two of our largest outings just here recently. Uh, that were basically run by their organization. You know, nobody's still in the pro shop, as much social distancing as possible. And, and still, we lost, even though, our, even though our rounds were up, we lost a lot of our regular golf package groups, so, some of our smaller groups. Like the that, out that of town gonna, people Out of town through. people that would come stay at the inn and, and you know, get, get a deal for staying at the end and playing golf. We lost those which, you know, we probably, we made it up in our normal day-to-day -day rounds. And, and hopefully those, those guys will, will, will come back next year. Um, you know, we have added, we did have some more added just like this weekend. I have a TGA event that, that's a college shootout that was added to us. Um, and, and I think we had another TGA event that was added that we didn't normally have. So a lot of, but what you lost, they're, they're scrambling to make it up before the weather. They're, they're scrambling to make it up, yes. Justin, um, what about you at Clarksville? Um, any, any, anybody cancel? You pick any up that you uh, didn't normally have? It seemed like, I guess, uh, all of our junior events, definitely, they didn't happen. Uh, we usually have a big one at the end of July, uh, the memorial, uh, Craig Rudolph. And we've had it for years, and they canceled it pretty early. Uh, Clarksville Junior Golf Tour, I mean, I can't speak specifically for the municipal courses around Clarksville, but they didn't operate at our place. Um, I think anything event-wise that, that's related to the city of Clarksville or mayor or anything kind of played it cool and, and didn't make a big splash and have any big events. Uh, but they did hold all the local TGA stuff at, at Swan Lake and I think, you know, the 
the Wendy's Classic and all that happened. Um, I usually host the Austin P. Women's in October, and we were going to host the men's as well this year, and they they weren't able to get that. Um, and I don't know if it was so much as the, the, the university in Clarksville, but other universities that were going to come as well um, kind of kept that from happening. So th those are the bigger names that kind of our bigger tournaments still happen. They were shifted back, you know, to later August. Um, a lot of tournaments didn't have scoreboards, didn't have, you know, gatherings after, and that kind of really affects food and beverage. And yeah, and it, it affects cash flow. You're not making as much money. What was disappointing to me this year, um, all the adult tournaments went off without a hitch. We, we canceled like two or three different junior either clinics or tournaments because it wasn't deemed safe for these kids who were 15 and under. And it, that bothered me, but like, like I said, as we're not geared to shut down, well, you know, I don't want to shut down member guests. You know, I want to, you know, I do member guests every year. We're, so we had, we had some of that go on. Um, let's stop talking about outings. Uh, <laughs> I, I live in East Nashville, um, very blessed. Uh, Tyler Ingram, he's my neighbor down the road. Uh, his his house was nearly uh, taken out by the tornado, and and you know one of my favorite little places to play, Shelby, and um, was was affected. But I'd like to hear from someone from Metro, kind of walk us through what happened after the tornadoes. Uh, I don't care who it is, if someone new wants to speak. But it was it was crazy. Tyler and I were out there for weeks, weeks on it. I mean, I was in Donaldson for a week. I was in Five Points in East Nashville for a week. I was on Holly Street looking out over Shelby, which was just demolished. And how did you guys handle it? Did other courses, were you like, okay, well, um, you know, this course is going to go, that crew's going to be at and Shelby today? That's the one good thing about Metro. We have seven munis. And still, how about that? Uh, we've, we've got seven munis, and we all pull together, like I was talking about covers earlier. We're all going to come together as one and go from course to course to get it done. Uh, Scott's the one. He was, he's at Shelby. He's the one that got to see it the day after. And it was absolutely a mess. We got all kinds of FEMA money, which is a good thing. But also it tells, I mean, we had how many trees down? How many trees were down? 200 trees. And these were big trees. So all the crews got together and we sent over whatever we could, you know, during, during all, the, all the other chaos uh, and, and sent over, you know, people from each course to help and bought a lot of chainsaws and did what we could, but then finally uh, got the funding and were able to bring in some bigger crews and, and clean up the, the big stuff. But, but we, we were over there a lot <laughs> and couldn't treat, well, I wasn't as much because I was maintaining other stuff, but, you know, you can attribute all these guys sitting here to pull together to, to make it happen. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a tough one. It's still closed down actually, because we couldn't get the parts from China for uh, toilet irrigation. So what, uh, oh, so the whole irrigation yeah, system all of wiped, it was wiped out. So just from lightning strikes or, or obviously boxes no, the getting boxes ripped got, out? I mean, it, it kind of needed to go anyway. So it's, it's a blessing in disguise, but at the same time, there's there's a lot of damage, a lot. Yeah, golf course has been shut down. 
So does that FEMA money, will that be totally put into Shelby or will Metro oh, yeah. divide it among the seven? No, it'll have to be only for Shelby. Okay. So it, it's going to get a facelift. It's going to get cart pass, I think, right? They're working on a cart pass already? And irrigation's going to be almost a full overhaul. So uh, there, there's some good things to come out of it, but it's, it's tough. I mean, without Shelby shut down, we would probably not have had the staffing pro shop-wise to stay running through the through the whole pandemic, so so there's some good and bad things, and you know McCabe got got some nice Bermuda greens now. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, there's some good things that came out of it for us, but and largely, you know, we were given a lot of free golf, so there's a lot of revenue kind of lost. It was good for morale for for all the locals, but at the same time, it's like we were getting more play than we had seen in a really long time, and and not getting, not getting any revenue from it. And yeah, still I'm, having to, to maintain it, you know, around them too, so. I went out to play it shortly after, and I, I remember sitting on the tee box for like 40 minutes. There was probably six other groups just lined up to play, and I had four guys with me, so I just waiting on this, these groups ahead of me to, to play some free golf. But, uh, and they still get it after five o'clock. They'll line up. I mean, it's getting darker now, but so the pro shop will close. Yeah, the pro shop closed down, and and you got a line of people <laughs> waiting to play free golf at five o'clock. It's nuts, but it's something like one day I was a little upset because I couldn't get my job done, and there was a uh, nurse, a, a male nurse that was playing golf, and I went up to him. And I was, you know, I was, I was nice to him. He was, he was, he kind of hit a ball at me. <laughs> I was like, hey man, and then. You know, I was going to go up and kind of get mad at him, but I can't. He's a frontline worker. And he said to me, man, I don't think I'd make it through it without this golf, without playing golf today and being able to release from all the chaos that's going on around him. And that, I mean, that touched me. Yeah. It changed my perspective on everything. So is this something the city is promoting? I think that's free, the free take golf. home point. Uh, well, not, we're trying not to anymore. <laughs> but yes, I mean it was it was on the news, and and yeah, during the two months where two months we were shut down, there was there was a lot of people playing golf, and that's and it brought it probably brought some of that uh, clientele back. You know, they're probably still playing our golf courses, uh, hopefully paying now. Yeah. That's <laughs> but really, uh, that's a first. I mean, that's the first I've heard of it. That's a really right. cool story. Right. I feel like it should so, be talked about in more outlets. Yeah. Like but, making yeah, the turn podcast. There we go. The frontline workers, I mean, you know, we owe everything to them. It's amazing how it, this pandemic's really affected some, some people more than others. And, you know, we're sitting in a room where damn near all of us haven't been. So that's, that's one thing to be extremely grateful for. Golf has been a great outlet for a lot of members at my place. Um, uh, two famous comedians, Kathleen Madigan and, and Nate Bargatze, well, they, they play almost every day. Um, they're not doing any comedy shows and haven't since March 15th, all right? They have enough income to live for quite a while without working. But then uh, the, the gentleman who owns Zanies, he's become one of my best friends, but his name is Brian Dorfman, and you know, his comedy clubs, they're open now under Mayor Cooper's uh, really nice um, whatever he's doing, uh, yeah, I think they're at 75%, but I mean, he's lost so much money and trying to keep all your employees paid and it all comes back to, what, 
if I lose my job at the golf course, I got to go find something else, and maybe that's something else. You know, maybe I stick with it for a couple years. So you start losing your key people around you, and um, you you might never get them back. But but golf in general, for for those three individuals in particular, Brian owns ten comedy clubs across the uh, across the country, and it's a uh, I mean he's just losing thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars maybe weekly, monthly, I don't, I don't know his financials, and then, you know, Kathleen and and, uh, and, and all, all the other uh, comedians haven't performed, so uh, they play every single morning, and it's their little getaway for the day. They'll go home, and they'll, all of them are kind of assimilated. They're, they're podcasting a little bit. They're working on their merchandising and, and trying to, promote themselves in different ways but because you got to keep trying to make some money but uh, just kind of an interesting side note um, I definitely think that's kind of where we wanted to land on, on this discussion is how golf has turned 2020 and some of the things we've had to deal with into an outlet for people because we're not naive to believe that other industries are hurting musicians you know, there's not a lot of films being made. We could go down the list, but, you know, the story you told about just someone being able to get out, they've been dealing with a lot of things. That's really the message that we're here to talk about is how golf has sort of boomed that and done for our industry. Yes, not everybody has the same story. Not everybody has been through the same thing. There's been golf courses that suffered. There are golf courses that are suffering, but for the most part, I think this was the idea for us to have this discussion was golf has created an outlet and an opportunity. Early on, it was just get out and play and move around and we were gonna figure it out and superintendents in general tend to be the best that I know of at figuring things out, way ahead of most people. They're kind of jack of all trades and we, we did things just to get people because we realized that that was an outlet, you know, and, and so here we are now at the back end of where things are sort of you know, hopefully turning around. And I, I see that as new people have come into the game, as things started to increase, that golf is going to continue to bring people in and pull people in because things are different and things have changed. And that's sort of my take home. And I think that I'm, I, I think that's kind of where we wanted to land um, sort of towards the end here as we wrap this up, that um, maybe it has been the best year for golf. And um, you know, I, that's my sentiments on it. I don't know if anybody's got some final thoughts on it, but it's kind of where I'm at. Well, that hits on to our discussion out at Champions Run. Does uh, anyone here have any solid data about how many 30-somethings, 20 to 30-year-old-somethings that are PJ uh, and I accuse them of being on their phones all the time? How many new players have we got into the game this year? How many... Uh, PGA pros, for instance, have said, yeah, we've, we've got a new client that we're teaching this year. Does anyone have any indication of their total rounds, how many of them are new rounds or new golfers? I, I would, I, I don't know any specific data you might, Brandon, but I mean, I'm assuming that we're gonna learn some really interesting statistics over the, as this stuff sort of starts to filter through uh, of where we're gonna see an increase. I mean, I know they track this stuff and, and um, you know, through the handicap systems and, and just, you know, golf rounds in general. But I would say that from what I've seen, 
there's been a, a huge uptick in people uh, that would normally be doing something else, uh, maybe sitting around uh, or going to the movies or whatever. They're, they're, they've got, they picked up their clubs. Either they have never played before or they played and then they got back out afterwards. So yeah, I, I would the, say, yeah. The, the reports that I've seen um, are mostly people returning to the game that maybe left because they didn't like how much time it took or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, it's not really about how much time it takes. It's about being outside and enjoying your time outside because yep. you're stuck in your house. And uh, like I have, we have a faculty member that uh, uh, the teaching faculty get together every week on Zoom and kind of talk about best practices, things that we're figuring out or, or whatever. And, and one of the faculty members who's teaching mostly online commented that her favorite place in her house is no longer her favorite place in her house because she's been there so often during the last several months that she's now going to other places in the house to, to teach and be online because she's sick of being in what was once her favorite place. And I think that idea of being outside and getting fresh air and all of that all of a sudden has taken kind of a renewed importance. And, and then there are some indications that there are some new golfers coming in, uh, people that have never taken up the game and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's a good thing. Um, and, and I think the, the, the other piece, too, is, is that uh, with, with rounds being up, I think the, the, the other, the other kind of cool thing is that people are, are recognizing that, and it's not just our sport, it's, it's, it's beyond just our sport. Uh, if you talk to a bicycle shop owner, like, you can't find a bicycle. Like, you, you cannot buy a new bike right now without having multi-month wait to get a bike uh, because people are getting outside. And so just in terms of general health of the population, I mean, I can speak from personal experience. I got pretty serious about trying to lose some weight. I'm, I'm two and a half pounds away from 50 and down since March 15th when we went into lockdown. And, and that's largely the result of the fact, and I joke around about it and make a, make a joke about it because that's what I do, but um, I said, man, if this thing's coming after fat people, I don't want to be fat. <laughs> and so I like, I, you know, I, I'm going to get serious about doing this. And, and you know, and, and you start seeing kind of that effect. And that, that's translated across society in general, I think, as people start realizing like, hey, I maybe need to make some different decisions about yeah. what I'm doing. Uh, and, and that's translated into people getting back to doing things like golf. Uh, I know, you know, Jim and I play pretty regularly every week. And I, I went from riding in a cart to now I'm walking uh, most of the time playing golf. And, and Oak Ridge is not a non-hilly golf course. It's, a, it's, it's a, quite hilly. It's a challenging it's walk. A walk. And I started out with, okay, I'm just going to walk nine, and then I'll ride a cart on the back. And then now I'm walking 18. And, and, and I think that you know, those kinds of things you're seeing translate to across the board. It's not just me. I'm not a unique thing I think I think you see people kind of trying to do that in general getting outside the park I'll say this too about you know we're talking about the metro parks and stuff like I, I have never seen like I'm getting out and walking on a pretty regular basis in the in the parks on our greenways in Knoxville I mean I have never seen them busy the way they are now like I go out to a one of our big parks to walk a four and a half mile greenway and I mean the place is packed there's people everywhere Everybody's kind of spaced with their families and stuff, but like there's people everywhere because yeah. people want to be outside doing stuff. So I think that's a great thing overall. 
And for the historical record, BJ, he's huffing it on his shoulders. He's not pushcart mafia out there. Oh, I, I, mean, I was—he <laughs> didn't look like the pushcart guy. I, I, I was—I was going to try to be in the pushcart mafia and realize pretty early on uh, that that I like being able to move my arms. And yeah. so I've I've gone to—I've actually ordered a two and a half pound uh, empty golf bag to to create a little lighter package on the back. But it's. It, I like being a, I'm not a pushcart mafia man. And, and the National Golf Foundation does a pretty good job of, of data summary about the game. And, yeah. and I'm sure, I mean, I haven't looked at any of their data summaries recently, but I'm sure at the end of the year they can provide a pretty detailed look about new play, returning to play, round, you know, rounds per month over a year and, and whatnot. Yeah, I, I'm particularly interested in that millennial group because it's a baby boom generation of its own. So longer term, you know, yep. sustainability of the game, and, and uh, I'm just curious where that's going to fall. Good question. Well, that's kind of a silver lining into the whole year, uh, 2020 being the pandemic year, is maybe we come out of this. You know, we, we all kept our jobs, thankfully, but humans in general come out of it a little bit cleaner, you know, a little bit healthier overall, a little less overweight. Um, so maybe when all the, you know, the media tensions and the political tensions and, and people with different opinions, tensions, you know, maybe as it starts to go down a little bit, maybe maybe we will, like our industry is, is gonna continue to thrive. I think we're gonna have to adapt and change depending on what your business model is whether you're Metro or whether you're a single owner or whether you're member owned or there's, everyone's gonna have to kind of sort through it. Um, but it, it, you know, we may come out, you know, two years from now laughing about it and, and realizing, hey, we, we've drastically changed our operations for the better. Um, whether it's the way you treat your employees or manage your employees or whether how it's you manage money or equipment or resources. So, this year has been good and bad and just a wide variety of emotions, but I think we're going to learn a lot from the year, ultimately. Um, that's, that's all I, I really got to say. Uh, I know we're about to wrap up. I'll let BJ wrap up here in just a minute. Uh, I do want to thank a very good friend of mine the last eight years, Tyler Ingram. He's the superintendent here at Bluegrass for hosting us. Golf course looks awesome. Those latitude fairways just look amazing right now. I encourage all you guys to go out and play golf. Um, I've only got time for nine holes today, but encourage anyone who wants to to play who isn't already signed up to sign up, or uh, you know maybe they got some loaner clubs. I don't know if you if you want to sneak out. But Tyler, place looks great. Thank you for having us. Uh, I'll let BJ and and uh, my two buddies from UT kind of close, and uh, and we'll go from there. You want me to wrap this up? Well, uh, this has been a good discussion, and um, it's going to be fun. To, it's going to live on uh, in the podcast world as well. So uh, if you want to know where to find that, I'll, I'll um, let you know. It's at Making the Turn Podcast, which is available everywhere. I'm proud of that. It's uh, kind of all over the place. But it's fun to do this. Um, we had a great discussion. I echo what Dan said. Tyler, thank you for having us out here. Uh, it's been fun to uh, actually get it out and see some people and uh, be in a meeting and um, talk about how 2020 is done for us. So thanks for you and Bluegrass. And I think uh, golf is, um, if you haven't signed up for golf, be sure to do that. But 
thanks to all these guys that are up here. Uh, thanks to every one of you guys for showing up. Uh, it's been fun. Thanks to the sponsors specifically. And um, that's it. That's it for what I've got to say, and I appreciate it. Thank you. So, till I don't have anything else to say. That's how I just kind of dropped the ball there. Is that good? That's where thank, you, if you listen to the podcast, that'll be where it just kind of plays out. Thank you very much for uh, round of applause for Tyler and everybody, and thanks for yeah, thanks Tyler for having us. Special thank you to uh, Dr. Brosnan and Dr. Horvath for making the trip. Really appreciate you guys and what you do for us. Talk to you soon.